Hi there, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Um, we've been listening for, to some music from Unsealed, a tribute to the Go-Go's. And uh, let's see, that was track five. That was uh, This Town from Season to Risk. We also listened to How Much More from Pinehurst Kids and Head Over Heels uh, from Fish Dish, Fig Dish. So standing by to join me uh, is my next guest who uh, wrote this wrote and produced this incredible film called My Father's Vietnam. His name is Soren Sorensen. So I'm going to bring him on right now. Hi, Soren. Hi. I really enjoyed your film, especially, obviously, since Memorial Day is coming up. Um, it, was, it was so powerful. How, how did this all come about, you decided to do this film? Well, um, in 2006, um, I uh, had a conversation with my father uh, that lasted about five and a half hours. I've since gotten better at interviewing people. Whoa. Um, <laughs> so uh, we had a five and a half hour conversation um, specifically about uh, his year, uh, 1969 and 70, in Vietnam. Uh, and, you know, the training and the, the time that led up to that and some of what, what occurred afterwards. Um, and it came about just because I hadn't had any kind of meaningful relation, you know, relationship with him about or conversation with him, interaction with him about Vietnam. So it did. I just so happened to have a very good friend who's a cinematographer and still is. His name is Dan Akiba. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just he shot the interview. And then eventually we, we, we sort of took the camera um, around the country, we went to Arizona and we went to Vermont and Florida and Pennsylvania and uh, New York to, to interview my mother. She was working there at the time. Okay. Um, and my parents live in Mystic, Connecticut now. So, but, uh, you know, it, it sort of covers a lot of ground and, and um, both geographically and, and, you know, as far as the subject matter and thematic material. The, the film was just put together so well with, you know, you interviewed your father's friend's dad. So you had uh, Loring Bailey Sr., correct? Yes, yes. And that was so moving to, to hear about, you know, him losing his son and, the, and just, you know, t- and to hear your dad talk about Ring, you know. W- with, when you were doing this, was this, this must have been emotional and uncovering. You, you, you were like a detective t- uncovering your dad's life. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was a tough conversation with with loring bailey senior um my, at that point my father had been or you know our family had been friends with uh both loring and dorothy bailey mm-hmm. um at for five or six years but by the time i i started um you know kind of poking around and 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 looking into the story and and when i asked him if he would appear on camera to to talk about this he, i think that he was it, it was explicit that that he would be the one doing the talking and, and that is that his uh, his wife um loring jr's mother yes. uh dorothy would not appear um and you know but he he i think he got a great thrill um or or he got a great euphoria out of talking about his son um this is a person who was in his 90s and and could recall the day that you know loring started elementary school or Ah. uh the day that he graduated high school you know dates and and places and names and just all kinds of you know minutiae that that i can't recall about my own life and here this guy was at 90 and and, you know upwards of 90 and remembering all this stuff about his um his his only son who was you know killed at 24 years old i know i was watching him reflect on the different details of his son's life and when he died and you know it just was incredible that you were able to capture that yeah it was quite a um it was quite a thing i mean especially because as i sort of joked earlier i had this this conversation with my father that lasted five and a half hours um you know sitting down and and 
you don't want to be tacky. Um, obviously, you interview people, um, you know, very often, and so yeah. you don't want to sit down and, and jump into, okay, well, tell me how it was that you found out that your son was killed. Oh, no. So right. I, I was talking around that story, and, and yeah. he actually brought it up himself. I, I was sort of, in the back of my mind, I wasn't, I didn't think I would ask that question. I didn't want to bring up negative feelings or make them sad or um, have them go to a place that they didn't want to go to, but he, he brought it up, and, and it was it ended up being a very um, poignant moment in the film. Mm-hmm. I loved how the film begins. I won't give too much away, but how you end up exploring these friendships um, that are no longer, these people are no longer alive. And you just uncover a lot of people from your dad's past. Uh, did you know what, what it was that your dad did after he left, you know, the trenches, basically, that he became a journalist? Yeah, um, I did, and I knew that he was, um, you know, growing up that he he was he's just a great photographer, and I knew that he was a, he was a wonderful writer as well, and had even tried his hand at fiction a little bit, and and wrote a couple of short stories that were published um, in um, you know in, in um, publications that had something to do with the, the war um, or military service or something. So uh, he had written a couple of short stories. So I, I was aware that he had a creative um, background or a, a kind of a journalistic mind like that, but I didn't know anything about the extent of it. And when, when you hear somebody is a journalist or they work for the public information office, you think that they weren't in any danger, right. um, as I thought when I was growing up. I mean, I just thought, oh, he had a desk job, because my father was, was for most of my life, or for all of my life, was involved in corporate real estate. He, 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 his oh. career um, wasn't, uh, you know, related to journalism um, by the time I came, you know, by the time I was born. So, okay. uh, but, when, you know, talking to him, you know, for this film, he said that he, you know, he was certainly in as much danger, if not more danger, as a, as a war reporter as he was as a as a combat engineer. Because he he said that there were days where he he would just he wouldn't have anything to cover, so he would jump on a you know gunship and go on a on a combat assault. Oh my and gosh! He was in great danger. I mean, sure. or, or you know, any any number of things could have gone wrong. So right. on some level. Um, some of the photographs that are, that are in the film, um, and some other ones that I have, and you know, as a result of his personal collection and, and being able to preserve some of them, um, are, are astounding. I mean, mm -hmm. you just there's only one way to get those photographs, which is being there. And did you had you already seen a lot of these photos and footage? before this film or was all this uncovered as a process? It's completely new. I hadn't oh. seen a thing. I mean, I, I don't even know. I think my, my mom, she has a picture of him um, from Vietnam. You know, I say, I believe either holding an M16 or maybe he's just, he's just standing kind of and somebody took a picture of him. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't even think she had that out when I was a kid. She does now kind of in a frame, but uh, you know, there were hundreds of, of negatives um, and prints uh, and, and even newspaper clippings of, of um, Stars and Stripes and Army Times, which is mm -hmm. where his, uh, his story, you know, eventually landed when, after he, you know, after he uh, executed them. Um, so he would, he would take a few pictures, you know, write a story, and then it would go out to Stars and Stripes and Army Times. But all of this stuff, this physical media, ended up in boxes in the attic or in a closet. Um, right. And so when I approached him to do this conversation, you know, he, he was very helpful. He just said, here, you should check this stuff out. Or, and he would offer to help when he could, but it was very time-consuming. And I yes. got a negative scanner and sat down and started going through them. And then I would ask him about certain pictures um, that I thought would help tell the story. Or, you know, because I, I don't know anything about, you know, howitzers and sure. you know, different gauge ammunition and machine guns and right. all this stuff. I, I'm not an expert in that stuff at all. So yeah. he helped me as a consultant, you know, throughout. Now, he, he um, was, what, 18 when he went off to war? 
And he was actually um, uh, older and better educated probably than the average um, okay. soldier at that time. So, so by then, he had graduated college in 68, so oh, he was okay. probably 22 when he enlisted. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe 23 by the time he left in 69. Yeah, so he was born in 46, so that makes sense. And recently um, married. He had just gotten married? Yeah, they, they got married. They actually moved their wedding. Um, you know, they got engaged, and then he got his orders to ship out, and their wedding was supposed to be in October, and they had to move it up a month because he needed to... Um, uh, it was either, you know, it was supposed to be in September, and then he, he had to ship out in October, so they moved it to August. Um, and I, I used to ask them... That was something I knew when I was growing up, that they had moved their wedding because of the war, and, and I... It's just, it seems naive and, and silly at the, you know now, looking yeah. back at it, but I used to say, why did you even bother, you know, if you were going to right. Yeah, you know, but it's of course they do. Okay, that's what you do when you're in yes. love and, and you're engaged. I mean, you want to do this. You want to get this. You know, yes. get this done. Do this yes. thing. I mean, you know, and join your lives together as soon as possible. And that's right. and that's what they did. And it's pretty romantic, you know, looking back at it. But it's um, but yeah. it's what's interesting though is thinking about because how long were they away from one another? Well, so that so I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, any any year in the in the military or a year of active duty. I mean, it, it comes along with um, you know more you know a year or more than that of training. So he had advanced individual training. He did officer candidate school um, in uh, at Fort Belvoir in Virginia. He did um, you know you do advanced individual training. Um, uh, officer candidate school, and then he, then he washed out of or quit officer candidate school essentially, um, and then he, he went to the engineer corps. Um, so that so they were, uh, you know, off and on kind of apart for um, months um, at a time during the training, and then the, the the actual time spent in Vietnam was a was a full year, was 365 days, with I think they spent a week together in, in Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken, for R and R. Oh, good. Um, and there there are great pictures from that too, but um, you know, it's it's. You know, a pretty pretty long amount of time to be spending apart as a as newlyweds or yes. for anybody and for any yes. and any married couple, I would assume. And as it was pointed out, I can imagine because I was thinking this while I was watching the film, uh, he comes back a different person than the person that she knew. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, she she also is, it takes she she um, is is careful not to not to uh, engage in too much hyperbole about this, and, and so mm-hmm. is my sister. Um, you know that these these people um, in, in the sort of in the third act of the film, I'm talking about my my father being uh, you know a different person. My fa- my sister said something like, "She probably was a different person before he went in the military." Like, yeah. You know, trauma trauma changes people. Um, sure. You know, regardless of, of the circumstances. Uh, yeah. You know, so so yeah. So I, I think that he yeah he came back a changed person. But I think mm-hmm. that's something that you do expect uh, to a certain extent, and of then course. you also expect that there'll be some support for you when you get home, um, would, would be it emotionally or physically, and, and we're still seeing with Iraq and Afghanistan veterans coming back that that's not always the case. Right. I, you know, speaking of, um, you talking about recognition, uh, I think it was, I'm trying to think of the gentleman, um, one of the gentlemen mentioned how somebody came up to, to him and said thank you. Was it um, mm. uh, Glenn... John, John Wilson. John Wilson, excuse me. And I, you could see the emotions, you know, hearing somebody say thank you. He said, you know, for what? But, you know, thank you for serving our country, putting your life on the line. And um, yeah. he had never thought of it that way. Yeah, well, you know, there, there have been, um, I, I think I've read a, at least one sort of think piece or uh, one kind of, you know, op-ed um, in the past few years. It was written by an Afghanistan or, or Iraq veteran or both mm-hmm. um, about, you know, Feeling like that, um, you know, saying thank you constantly to veterans has, has become this kind of 
throwaway um, trite gesture um, that, that we say it's just like the same thing as like have a great day or something. Sure. Um, and I and you know it's it, it, I think with Vietnam veterans it's a little different because nobody thanked them. So thanked when them. people do, it, it takes them by surprise and and they and you you do you see you see it in John's face. I mean he he. Um, you know, for somebody to say welcome home or to say thank you to somebody that never heard it um, is is moving. It's, yes. a, it's a it's an incredible uh, gesture to somebody like that. And I think, um, but but it has to go beyond that. It can't just be, uh, you know, a few a couple of words um, or, or a welcome home, and, and then you think, well, I did my good deed for the day. I mean, mm-hmm. it has to be that we value um, supporting these people again, mentally and physically. That the VA is is robust, and, and we're, we're responding to the needs of, of Veterans Affairs. Um, and, and, and supporting nonprofits that assist these people when they, when they get home. Yes, yes. I Again, I really enjoyed listening to people's perspectives about who they lost or what they went through. I was so hoping to hear from uh, Ring's wife, but I, I, I could imagine that was probably too too much. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like she, um, uh, I'm I'm Facebook friends with her and her husband, and um, mm-hmm. and and you know, I continue to be in, in contact with Rick Carlson um, very very often. He, he's now published um, a, a book of uh, of Loring's letters, Loring Jr.'s letters home oh. um, dur- during his time in, in the army, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I'm sort of in touch with her through Rick, and and, she, and you know, Rick reports that she is very aware of what's going on with the film, um, and very supportive of what's going on with the book as well, and and so. You know, she's supportive from a distance. I, I don't yes. know that she's seen it. I would assume that Rick would have. Rick would probably have told me. Um, yeah. You know, if that was the case, I sort of doubt it. But I think it's. I think it's still. I don't think. You, I don't think you get over something like that. I no. mean, that's what the film's about. Right. This is something that people are still thinking about, just under the surface. Yes. When your dad saw the final film, what was his reaction? You know, I, it's interesting. <laughs> the, the movie took so long to make. I mean, I had a rough cut in. 2011, um, when I was earning a master's degree in, in art uh, with a concentration in media studies from Rhode Island College here in Providence, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he, when I fi- when he did finally see it, and and we started to screen it for other people, um, you know, he would always sort of make a point to um, to watch it, or, or he, you know, he would want to want to see it and, and sort of. Um, you know, screen it as many times as he could or, or kind of see it in front of audiences and, and sure. hear people's reaction to the different um, people that are profiled in it. But, um, you know, I think this film's part of a tradition uh, of first-person documentary storytelling that um, that isn't, isn't particularly... Um, infamous or or you know it's not something that people do on a on a saturday night they go out and right. see, and, and and see a film a personal film like this there's there, there barely any documentaries in the in the theater here, here mm-hmm. where i live um you know new york los angeles boston philadelphia i mean there are certain places where you can see documentaries in the theater but it's it's really sort of relegated to somebody has to seek it out it's yes. a, it's a it's a um, you know, it's something that you 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 seek out it's something you're going to stumble across necessarily so i think now that um He's seen it a few times, and 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 that he knows sort of the tradition that it comes out of um, films like Be Good, Smile Pretty by Tracy Dros Tragos, mm-hmm. um, or Regret to Inform by Barbara Simonmore, um, that look at a, a they look at an incredibly big subject through an incredibly tiny lens. Um, uh, you know that 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 I think he gets what I'm what I'm trying to do, and that it's not look how it's neither look how great my father is or um look what a jerk my father is <laughs> it's more look look how common this experience is to all of these people um yes. whom this war touched yes yes and congratulations i i know you won a grand prize at the 2015 Rhode Island International Film Festival 
I won I won the Soldiers and Sacrifice Grand Prize, which is a specific category um, of, of of award uh, for for um, films that that um, contain subject matter and thematic material. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that is related to um, armed services. So, yeah, that was a, a huge honor. And, and and the Rhode Island International Film Festival is where the film had its world premiere in August, and it was a huge honor because it's um, that that film festival is now in its twentieth year. So so for this small state to have this thriving a film community and a, and a festival that prestigious um, that's been around for now, you know, just about 20 years, right. um, was was a huge honor. And, and it won Best Documentary at, the, at a younger film festival, the Flagler Film Festival in Palm Coast, Florida. Just recently. Had a huge turnout and a, and a very emotional Q&A with several veterans in attendance. So it was, it was been, it's been tremendously uh, gratifying. That's great. That was just this year, that one. Correct, yeah, in January. That's great. So what's next for you? Are you going to work on more documentaries, or what's what? What are you up to? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be uh, teaching film studies uh, or screen studies, as they call it, at Clark University in Worcester for the next year, for the mm-hmm. next two semesters, so the fall and the spring. Um, and I'm working on um, editing a, a feature-length documentary on the life and music of Cuban-born jazz pianist and composer Omar Sosa. Uh, wow. So that's been shot. I just am, am sort of entering the post-production phase right now and, and hope to have that out or finished at least by the end of the year. Was film always a passion for you, Soren? Yeah, I mean, it was it was trumped a little bit by... I shouldn't use the word Trump anymore, I suppose. <laughs> um, it was... It, it was uh, um, certainly music for a long time for me. I, I, I started playing the guitar at a young age, and um, uh, you know, I went to Berkeley College of Music for my undergrad. But oh, I the, love Berkeley. You know, my major was film scoring. Yeah. Um, you know, at Berkeley, and and the, my dad, uh, oddly enough, sort of had a huge collection of, of CD, you know, soundtracks as as we were growing up. And this is when, you know, I, I was born in 1975. So when Oliver Stone started putting out. Um, films about Vietnam or, or you know, in, certainly set in that era. So you have Platoon and JFK mm-hmm. um, and all these different films that he put out and Nixon and, um, you know, when he started putting these films out, it was it, I was just at the age where I could sort of grasp them and, and also my father was interested in seeing them. So I, I remember going to see a lot of historical fiction or um, you know, movies with kind of a political uh, subject matter um, you know, at a pretty young age So and becoming, you know, really fascinated with the 1960s, um, for sure. In the, in the early great. 1970s, um, you know, when the doors came out or st- stuff like that, people in my high school were just, you know, everybody freaked out about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so so I think, um, and I think you're sort of, I, I certainly, I, I read somewhere, I heard somebody say that you're, a lot of people get fascinated with the generation just preceding them, so the decade that they just missed. Sure. Um, you know, so I, so yeah, listening to, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of music from the 50s and 60s for sure. So I, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and Ricky Gervais once said that uh, Vietnam had the best soundtrack of any war in the, oh, yeah. in, the, uh, in, in, in the country's history. So yeah, I, I think it's um, my, my my entry point to Vietnam um, and you know through cinema was Apocalypse Now and and mm-hmm. uh, The Little Jacket and and those kind of films. Uh, right. You know, so so it's and and, and you know, like I said, it's. I, I stumbled into this when yes. I made when I made the when I did the interview with him that five and a half hour conversation ten years ago almost I, I never would have thought that I'd be talking to you right now and having this film coming out tomorrow um, you know digitally all over the country I mean it's just unbelievable it's it's a lot to be proud of by the way <laughs> I appreciate it that's really great I I have to mention I lived in Boston for over ten years and oh no kidding I, and I took guitar lessons with somebody that studied at Berkeley and um, I went to BU grad school and. But um, I was also fascinated by 60s music, and I went and remember getting the compilation of um, Woodstock. 
So I, oh, would, yeah. I would just be glued to the TV like, wow, look at all these people that I've heard about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating. Well, well, you know, it, when you have... You have something that that looks like ancient history in some way, and then you. But there's here's your, your father and your mother who sort of lived through it and participated yeah. in it. I mean, my mother was in a room with you know Martin Luther King, you know, talking to him for the school newspaper with a group of people. I mean, it's Whoa. just you, and you and you look at you fantastic. think about somebody like that looming so large in, in the culture. Yes. Um. And and to think that a parent. I mean, you forget it, and then well, every once in a while I think about that. And as my yeah. mother was in a room with Martin Luther King, it's just, it's weird. It seems like ancient history, and it really wasn't. It's it's very it's very recent, and I think we forget that. Isn't it interesting how I think you talked about how it took you to your in your thirties to really uncover who your dad was um i thought you used that statement but isn't it interesting how how we become adults we want to know the backstories of our parents well yeah i mean i I think i think it's like you know we start to you know get married and have kids and those sorts of things and you wonder what it was like for your parents a little bit no matter how different it was there's a lot of similarities of course you know within families and communities Mm -hmm. um but I, 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 it's important to, to, for me to stress, that, you know, and in writing about this and talking about this, that um, my father wasn't somebody that was closed to me or emotionally unavailable. That's um, good. You know, he, he just, you know, oftentimes we, uh, you know, as a culture, we say, well, when that person's ready to talk, they'll talk. Um, and, and really, I think it's up to us, you know, as a, as, a, as family members of these people, to to talk. I mean, we we should yes. be asking them the questions. Right. Um, if they don't want to talk, that's fine. It can be their choice, and, and they can give their consent. But yes. you know, this this notion that that um, that they should they'll open up when they're ready. You know, these people are turning seventy. They're going to be turning seventy five and eighty, and, th- and yes. their their lives are going to end. And you know, in twenty eleven, the last World War One veteran died. I think it was a, an English guy. No, that sort of hit home for me. I was thinking mm-hmm. about Vietnam veterans. The last one will die eventually, and that person's stories will go with them. Um, right. And and they're and in many cases, their physical artifacts will go with them too. They'll go. They'll be thrown out. Um, yes. They'll be discarded, or, or they will deteriorate with with time. Right. Well, that's what I loved about the film because with you talking to Loring Bailey Senior, you're capturing somebody that somebody might not have even thought to talk to. No, I mean you know. There are fifty-eight. There are over fifty-eight thousand names on the on the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington D.C. And, and millions of Vietnamese people were killed. And it's not. I, I don't even. I, that's one of those things I can't even begin to fathom. Um, numbers like that. Uh, but but most of the people on that wall, uh, nobody knows anything about. It's just, that's fifty-eight thousand people who were killed. You know, fighting in the Vietnam War. Can any of us name one of them? Uh, you know. So mm-hmm. so the idea that my dad took these two pencil rubbings and, and you know, again stuck them in the attic or stuck them in a photo album somewhere and gathering dust in a desk somewhere well I, you know that was something i wanted to to see what mm-hmm. their lives were like were they the same as my dad's were they sit were they different mm-hmm. um you know what, what were the how did these guys find themselves over in vietnam and, and there were a lot of things that that they shared um about whether it was about the, the way they felt about the war or um whatever it was there were, there were a lot of things that 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 linked them to my father and you know i i was born Five years after my father got home, so you know, yeah. I, it's, it, you you come close to um, you you could you start contemplating your mortality in a very different way when you think about well, you know, if my father had been killed before my before I was even yes. conceived, that's right. How, how my life would be different? Yes, you never would have had that five-hour conversation. <laughs> yeah, certainly mm-hmm. not. Although my father would be thankful for that because making him sit in the same chair for five and a half hours is <laughs> not his favorite thing to do. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you. I mean, really, what you've done is an incredible gift. Uh, and it's just, it's very, very moving. So where can people see this? 
Well, it's um, available for pre-order on iTunes right now, mm-hmm. um, and I'm making a, a small donation to the uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund um, uh, from the proceeds um, you know, from the uh, from iTunes pre-orders. Um, but it's uh, hopefully going to be. Uh, I think it's already available for pre-order on Vimeo, on Vudu. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be on Google Play and uh, what else? Um, Amazon. Um, you know, so in lots of cable providers around the, around the country. I think Verizon. I think AT and T has it. So um, you know, so hopefully tomorrow it's going to be pretty pretty wide across North America. Great. And if people want more information about you, they'll just go to myfathersvietnamdoc.com. Yep, my father's Vietnam doc.com. Okay, what about Twitter, Facebook? Do you like when people reach out to you there? Absolutely, facebook.com slash my father's Vietnam. Okay. And, it's, uh, and Twitter is at like Kierkegaard, and that's K I E R G A A R D, like the philosopher. Before we hang up, I want to say that um, I loved, see, I love films, footage, photography. I love the picture of your, your namesake. Uh, at 17 in his, um, I guess he was from Denmark. Is that correct? Your great-grandfather? That's correct, yeah. Soren so so he, uh, this is 17-year-old Soren Peter Sorensen the first. Um, yeah, and he was born, you know, over 100 years before I was. And uh, you have this kind of picture of this guy in this black-and-white portrait. And um, I just remember growing up with it in the house. And, and that that was, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of have these relics in the house and you think, well, I'm named after this guy. Like mm-hmm. what was his life like? I mean, you know, right. so, so that, that whole, that through line or, or the, the beginning and the ending of the film with that, with that photograph has, has a lot to, with that portrait has a lot to do with, um, you know, my father looking just as different to me as, as, as this guy who was born a hundred years before me. Um, yes. It goes back to what we were talking about, about how it, this looks like ancient history. To, to look at my father leaned up against that dump truck with his M16, right. l- looks like ancient history to me. He might as well be, you know, in ancient Rome or something. Sure. I, it's, it's not something that I have any entry point onto. Right. My life was so radically different. Sure. So, and, and this is, this is just the previous generation. This isn't, this isn't a guy that's that much older than me, right. you know, in the grand scheme of things. Right. Well, congratulations, and again, I want to thank you so much for calling in to the show. Thank you, Janine. I appreciate it, and and all the kind words mean so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, Soren. That was director Soren Sorensen calling in to talk about his personal film, My Father's Vietnam. If you've missed any part of today's show, everything is up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. This was a very moving documentary Soren produced Again, there's pictures of his dad, there's footage, uh, interviews with different people that were uh, associated with his dad throughout the war. All right, so that is a wrap for me. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Uh, We are still continuing with our fun drive, so we would love your support if you could call in to 949-824-5824. We still have tickets to a variety of concerts and different events. Uh, we are taking pledges, mi- minimum pledge, $35 or whatever you'd like to give. But for $35, we'll give you a T-shirt, a uh, tote bag, or coffee mug. Uh, and the pledge amounts go up. And if you want to donate $100, you could actually sit in on one of our shows. Uh, I mentioned Sheldon's show, which is a lot of fun, or my show. Hey, Sheldon. Hey. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to come in and see what we do in here. And we're all volunteers. Nobody's getting paid. So we depend on the generosity of our listeners to keep us going and replace. We have two CD players down right now. And what we use the money you donate to get new ones. And we sure could use some help in all areas. That's just one example. But Yes. 
And if you're not familiar with our, our programming, we do have our schedule up, which is www.kci.org. Uh, so again, if you want to sit in on a show, that's a really great thing for a $100 donation. It is tax deductible. So the number to call is 949-824-5824. All right. 949-824-5824. And thank you, Janine, for having such a great show today. Oh, thanks, Sheldon. Every day. Every mm-hmm. Monday. Every day? I'm every <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm late. You're late. All right. So Sheldon is going to uh, take over the airways. And uh, you know what we could do? Sheldon, I could uh, play one more song from the CD yeah. to, to yes, crank indeed. things up. And uh, if you want to find out about being a guest on my show... Send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E at K-U-C-I dot org. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll be standing by handling the phones here, 949-824-5824.